the state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at an historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laugh as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. Uh, we are recording this on the week uh, leading to Thanksgiving. It's a it's a pretty wild one uh, this time around. Things that used to be uh, surreal are now normal. Things that used to be normal are now, you know, downright dangerous in some respects. Just for an example, Noel, super producer Casey Pegram. I actually had to go buy coffee. I can't mooch the company coffee anymore. What? I know. What's become of this world? <laughs> uh, not to mention that we're we're actually broadcasting today from inside the the uh, the belly of an inactive volcano. But I'm starting mm -hmm. to hear some rumbling, so I'm a little worried. But it'll all just it, it's it's on brand, it's on theme. So if at some point in the episode you start to hear some kind of like the rumbling starts to intensify, and then the sound of you know us being melted by molten lava, um, just consider it part of the ride. Mm -hmm. And if uh, if you guys on the call today, uh, if you guys see, you, you can see these giant vats of baking soda and vinegar mm -hmm. behind mm -hmm. me. If you see them somehow getting close to each other, just say, Ben, watch your vinegar. Mm -hmm. That sounds yeah. like an obscure catchphrase for somebody. Watch your vinegar. I like it. I like I, it too. I think it should go on one of the many t-shirts that we keep promising. <laughs> Not doing. Guys, it's tough to work in a volcano. Uh but I like that you pointed out this one is a fake volcano, Noel. Uh, that's that's how we got around the insurance bit. Uh, and fake volcanoes, for a lot of our listeners in the U.S. and maybe in, in abroad, uh, fake volcanoes make you think of one thing, right? Science projects. Did you guys ever make one of those? Totally. Are you kidding? 
It's the best part of science class. I, I did it at home for fun, not even in science class. Yeah, yeah. I, I did it for kicks as well. Well, you know, my mom's a teacher, so these were sort of, I called them the shut-up projects, you right, know, on right. a Saturday. How, what was the cavity consist? What did the cavity, uh, was it com- uh, crafted from? Some sort of soda bottle or something, and then you build the volcano around it with clay? Or There's probably several different ways to get it done, I would say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, let's see, it's flour, salt, cooking oil, water, and then just a little bit of baking soda, then the vinegar. Uh, you could build it out of a couple things, right? It's the, That's the allure. But I think you're right. I think a two-liter soda bottle is probably the go-to for a lot of kids just because it's round mm-hmm. and it's affordable. And you get soda as a side benefit. So there's a hustle. But today – we're not tricking you with the uh, the opening in the segue. Folks, we are talking about a fake volcano, quite possibly the coolest fake volcano in history. It blows our stuff just like out the water. This is a Vesuvius to us. This absolutely should have been uh, or, or is the perfect subject matter to feature on like a Weird Flexes episode. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, let's start from the top. Uh, you know, we we think of outdoor recreation areas as, you know, I guess the lesser of them might be a park or a playground. But then, of course, they get more and more extra as you start delving into theme park territories, right? The idea of public spaces where people can mingle and have a good time um, has has been around for uh, quite a long time. Um, but the idea of a resort with amusement uh, facilities, like I said, much more along the lines of a theme park or, or water park or something, um, didn't really start to show up in Europe until the Renaissance. Of course it was the Renaissance. That's why it was called the Renaissance, when they had all the like cool new ideas. Um, and in England in particular, they were referred to as pleasure gardens. And I've actually Actually heard that kind of still used like mm-hmm. uh, in England at least for theme parks they call them like pleasure parks mm-hmm. or a pleasure cruise you know whatever um, and they were massively popular from around 1550 to around 1700 at least in this form um, you first started to see these kinds of resorts that were connected with businesses like inns or taverns right yeah yeah exactly and it's it's kind of a added benefit. You know, which inn are you going to go to? Are you going to go to the one that's just a bed and a window and a door? Are you going to go to the one that's got some cool stuff you can mess with outside? The calculus is clear. And these proved enormously beneficial for businesses. And as they did, they became increasingly elaborate. I was thinking of um, the kind of pleasure gardens we have in the Atlanta area or in our region. We have the Atlanta Botanical Gardens, which are quite beautiful. They had a fantastic Alice in Wonderland exhibition earlier. And then we also have, just a few hours away, the legendary Rock City. Have you guys ever been to Rock City? I've seen it. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. That, that's what they tell you. They say "Sea Rock City" on all, on all the signs <laughs> right. uh, leading up to yeah. it. Yeah, what is it like? There's there's gnomes, kind of. I believe. Oh God, aren't there? That's this feature yes. at Rock City. Yes, and it's in black light too. That's right. Yeah, and, and then there's um, I don't know. It's sort of like an outdoor like Cracker Barrel situation, like TGI Fridays with like weird kitschy, just you know, kooky stuff everywhere. Mm-hmm, exactly. So you probably have something like a pleasure garden in your neck of the global woods. In London, 
1661, a huge pleasure garden opens up. It's called Vauxhall Gardens. It's 12 acres in full. Admission is free, so where are you going to take your kids? Add to that, there's entertainment, pretty high-quality entertainment. An eight-year-old Mozart performed there in 1764. And so, as we always notice, money comes into play because a couple of folks are looking around and they say, hmm, what if admission wasn't free and they hold a pinky up you know Mm -hmm, to their mm -hmm, mouth mm -hmm. uh and this is how the story kind of begins we see the beginning of an industry and the gardens and their attractions begin to be kind of a a cultural expression of this desire uh, for what we could call vicarious danger or safe danger because they they presented this kind of natural world that might appear wild and untamed, but it's the kind of thing you can take your kids to and everyone will be safe and fine. So they were unthreatening, they were contained environments, and they also kind of generated categories. There was the beauty of nature, but then there was another category of like the terror of nature. That's right. Uh, things like, you know, tsunamis, heavy storms on the, the high seas, things romanticized by shipwrecks and, you know, piratey type behavior uh, and acts of, of daring do, thunderstorms in the mountains. And of course, you know, the, the open maw of hell that is a volcano that's just belching fire and liquid rock and black smoke into the into the sky um and it's something that really got some of the creative types behind these you know the imagineers of their time i guess um, got got them going and there there was a real fascination with like recreating some of these natural uh horrifying phenomena that would be like a real draw for for you know uh, thrill seekers or pleasure seekers. And um, there were actually, a, there was a series of essays uh, kind of establishing this concept of picturesque beauty um, that came out in 1792 by a gentleman named William Gilpin that kind of, I love the way this Bloomsbury Collective <laughs> piece, uh, Bloomsbury being a publisher, if I'm not mistaken, kind of outlined that Gilpin, quote, taught the 18th century tourists how to gaze and essentially created the concept or at least made it more mainstream of aesthetics or uh, of like enjoying something because it looks nice. Um, And he was even okay with doing that like in an artificial way. Right, Ben? Yeah, that's right, Noel. Uh, Gilpin would have been really into Rock City, uh, which we can't say enough uh, weirdly cryptic good things about. You just have to see it. Really? You just have to see it. Uh, <laughs> tangent, we don't have time to go into it, but uh, longtime listeners, you'll remember the time we had my dad on the show. Uh, when we moved to Georgia, he relocated first, and I was convinced that he had run away and abandoned our family to live at Rock City by himself because I thought it was that cool. And you know what? He let me believe that for like a year, easy. He would tell me he lived in Rock City and I couldn't come. Anyhow. What? Yes. That's yeah. heartbreaking, Ben. He still thinks it's funny. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, but, uh, but yeah, to Gilpin, to your point there, Noel, um, I love the idea that 
people have to be taught how to gaze. And uh, with this, there comes some conventions, right? How do we define landscaping? How do we define the picturesque? Uh, he was all about using this for popular public spectacle or events. Uh, and at the same time, you know, we saw a lot of uh, gardeners becoming more picturesque using theatrical effects. Shout out to our earlier episode on garden hermits. Was that from a Weird Flex episode? Or That was a Weird Flex episode. Yeah, I think that was yours. I can't remember. I can't remember. They were all <laughs> equally weird and flexy. But this belongs in those ranks, this, this story we're about to get to. Yes, yes, we're getting to the story. While all this is happening, people of means are traveling to England, and they're seeing these sites, and they're enjoying them, and they want to bring a piece of that back home with them. So, enter onto the stage Prince Leopold III, Friedrich Franz of Anhalt-Dessau. I defer to you on the German there, Noel. Oh, Ben, you're only too kind. Uh, I hope that I can even bring a modicum of, 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 of what Casey brings to French with German. Let's see. Uh, uh, Le Le Leopold III, Friedrich Franz, Anhalt Dessau. Perfect. Thank you. Yes. Casey, actually, can we get an applause cue for that? Oh, my God. You guys. You guys. I'd like to, I'd like to thank my, my German kindergarten teacher, Frau Neuhaus. That really was her name, which means new, new house. Uh, okay. I remember when I was when I was in German kindergarten, I was going on a trip to America. I may have told this already before, but she really wanted me to get a Butterfinger bars because you can't get Butterfinger bars. At least at the time, surely that's changed. You couldn't get Butterfinger bars in Germany. Was this East Germany? It was in. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, oh yes, I see what you're saying. Um, and, and sorry, off the off the rails really quickly. But Ben, do you know? And I'm sure you do. That mm -hmm. you know, Haribo, the gummies, the gummy candies. Yeah, yeah. Th there's a whole bunch of those that are only available in like Scandinavia, uh, and they're salty gummies, the licorice ones, right? Yeah, yeah, and oh, like super God. salty. Yeah. Also, uh, Germany. Shout out to the real Kinder eggs. Because the stuff we have in the U.S. is just not the same. Casey is nodding solemnly. Yeah, I was just thinking about the whole Kinder toy thing. Well, they were choking hazards, notorious choking hazards, I think. But I just bought one the other day and was really uh, distressed to realize it's shaped like an egg, but it actually comes with a spoon, and mm -hmm. it's like you eat it, and like uh, it's not. It's not a chocolate egg at all. It's like a total bait and switch. Yeah, we also need to talk about the egregious things Cadbury has done. In the Well, anyway, first we have to talk about this volcano. We were promised a volcano. We need to have it. This is where Friedrich comes in. Uh, he and his friend and counselor, uh, Friedrich Wilhelm von Erdmannsdorf, went to England. They saw this. They saw the study of landscapes and gardening and picturesque spectacles and they also saw ancient buildings in Italy on their European tour. And so they said, why don't we do something like this in our native Germany? A lot of people make a lot of plans, right? But the difference here is Leopold III, Friedrich Franz, is a prince. He's a duke. He rules a small kingdom uh, in modern-day Dessau. And... He was a pretty good ruler, actually, fairly progressive for his time. Uh, he's born in 1740. He's in his mid-20s on this tour of Europe. That's something a lot of the members of the noble class do. So he goes to London, Paris, Marseille, Rome, Venice, Naples, and he sees Mount Vesuvius. 
He also encounters Pompeii, which had been recently rediscovered in 1748, and he was in Pompeii in 1766. So there are a couple of big things you do if you're a well-heeled traveler at the time. You go to Vesuvius, you climb it and see it with your own eyes, and if you have some juice and you got some pull, then you actually visit the excavations of Pompeii. Franz was able to do all of this, and they almost didn't go to the volcano. This is the weird part. So he and his friend Friedrich are trying to get to the volcano, but then they notice the volcano is active again. So the group says, look, we're here. When are we going to be back here? Guys, let's volcano this. Let's be amateur volcanologists. They get to the edge of the crater, and then right when they're at the edge— they experience, can I get a low rumbling here? They experience this growing sound, a vibration that turns into, quote, a most terrible roar accompanied by a thick cloud of smoke and shortly afterwards, an ejection of stones, which the mountains spat Ooh. out with effort and threw far over its summit. They watched the eruption, dude. Pretty cool, man. Yeah. I, lo I love, a, what was it, uh, spat out stones? Yes, yes, with effort. With effort, oh, of course. So, uh, when he returned to Voilitz, uh, the prince, um, and Edmundorf, and a landscape architect by the name of Johann Friedrich Eiersbeck, Eiersbeck, yeah, I'm doing my best here, um, started to go to town creating this, like, you know, insane, ludicrous, ostentatious display and, you know, we would call it a backyard, I guess, or a garden, but it was just was pretty massive. I mean, it really was like a mini kind of theme park. And it was, um, there were these kind of enlightenment ideals that were kicking around that were a huge influence over some of the ideas of the time. Um, the idea of, uh, it was Jean-Jacques Rousseau, for example, um, had uh, the philosophy of nature of, of being educated by nature, let's say. And then there was this garden movement that, you know, like we talked about with those essays that really valued pastoral beauty over like the more formalized kind of, you know, hedge mazes and topiaries of the Baroque, right? Yeah, exactly. This is a, um, this is a very weird, uh, mixtape. Uh, it's kind of like a, uh, architectural historical girl talk album or like the avalanches you know uh, they've taken all these different elements chinese pagodas synagogues modeled after the temple of hercules victor in rome a miniature pantheon all this stuff and they've they've put it together in one enormous estate or backyard or garden and it takes decades to complete but at the end what they what they have is just as you've described, this sort of thematically unified tribute or monument to the Enlightenment as, as an age, the Enlightenment's view of art and nature, beauty, the meaning of life and everything. At this point, you know, it's fair to say if Douglas Adams had been publishing at the time, they would have had a giant marble 42 up there right next to the pagoda. And as soon as it was ready, Leopold opened the park to the public. He wanted everybody to see what wonders they had wrought. There is one part of this park that is particularly amazing. It is a furnace-fed 
fake volcano. No fooling, Prince Leopold had kind of a, um, as the history blog describes it, a pet Mount Vesuvius built, and he could make it erupt on command. It took six years to make. It was done in 1794, and this was like his big science project. So you go to this cool outdoor uh, public space, and then you learn a little on the way. And you might just happen to see Leopold himself hanging out saying, hey, kid, you want to learn about volcanoes? Hold my beer stein. Watch this. And flip a switch and... Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. You know, Ben, I got to say, one of the best parts about spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity you get where you're like, man, how have I been living like this? What's wrong with me? <laughs> you're right, Noel. It's, it's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car. I'd get that car, and I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know. I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonnevilles. right? Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was, a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, <laughs> I said El Camino and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. It, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. 
And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Okay, so how exactly was this accomplished? This this is an incredible feat, clearly, of, of engineering and architecture. Um, so what went into it? Franz um, and his architects uh, created a design that involved uh, yeah, not that not that different from uh, the uh, the homemade volcano we're talking about, because literally in all of the instructions I found for how to make one of those homemade science volcanoes, it just says you need some kind of interior container that holds the liquid to to house the reaction. Uh, everything from like maybe a smaller water bottle to like a two liter soda bottle with the top with you know cut in half, you know. Um, but for this, they had to build basically an inner building. That was five stories high, and then cover it with uh, what's described as local boulders, because only it had to be. It was they were they weren't going to have any imported boulders. They needed this to be authentic. Uh, at the top, there was a hollow cone that contained a high ceilinged chamber containing three fireplaces, um, and then the roof had like. A crater kind of situation that could be filled with water to create all of that steam, you know, when the when the fire, you know, went off. Um, and Franz also built an amphitheater, uh, like a Greek style, you know, hillside amphitheater with a little villa uh, where he, could, you know, where the the the, the prince could uh, have a personal kind of hangout, like an office, like a study, and also then flooded part of the estate to create like a false kind of lake or a moat rather surrounding the the volcano, which they refer to as a stone island, and then. Of course, he invited his friends to a very special garden party where they watched the volcano erupt. Which is just amazing. And we have a modern-day expert on this, uh, a chemistry professor named Wolfgang Spira, who had always had a side interest in historical pyrotechnics. You know we love very specific areas of expertise. Uh, so Spira talks about how this actually went down. You know, obviously, this is the time before cable television and cell phones. So if you happen to have a friend who has a fake volcano and they invite you to watch it, well, yeah, of course, what else are you going to do? It's not like wrestling is on. Uh, it's not like David Attenborough is going to explain to you the wonders of the undersea world. So you go, you watch this volcano, and it seemed like a pretty cool deal. But the question here is, was this realistic? What did the eruption actually look like? We only have one image of this actual volcano. It's a painting from 1794. But Wolfgang Spira wanted to figure out if this painting was realistic or if it was, you know, kind of zhuzhed up for fantasy. If you look at the volcano in the painting, it looks really cool. It doesn't necessarily look like a you know, an actual facts volcano, as our pal Lauren Vogelbaum would say, but it's impressive. It's a stunner. So here's what Spira did. He compared the size of the volcano in the painting to the size of the real volcano, which is still around by this point. Uh, the real volcano rises about 56 feet above the river that flows past it, 
And he could tell then that the smoke in the painting represented a cloud about 30 feet high. And that, he says, meant the smoke could have been from a natural source. And the painting was, therefore, actually a pretty good depiction of what the original eruption looked like. But then he had a thousand more questions. What kind of wood would they have used? Why was the volcano so far away from all the other weird toys the prince had? Why were there three separate fireplaces concealed in a brick-lined chamber underneath the volcano? Uh, Smithsonian has a great breakdown of this where they say that uh, some of the most important clues come from a guy named Carl August Botinger. He wrote a really long account of watching the volcano in 1797, and he was not writing this as a compliment. That's the funny part to me. Instead, he was roasting Leopold. <laughs> like He was like, why would you build this thing, you weird, weird man? And while he's doing this, he's describing in detail uh, the mechanism of the thing, like how the eruption starts from water released from the concealed crater at the top of the volcano to simulate lava to the red lamps that give the pile of stone kind of this otherworldly glow. God, how cool would that be if this was still around, Ben? Oh, oh, oh well, hold, hold, your, hold your horses. Hold your volcanologist, I should say. Uh, there were also fireworks. Why not? Why not? You know, it's already, uh, as if it could get any more ostentatious, let's add firework displays. And surely those were not like automated. These would have to be loaded and set by, you know, individual workers every single time uh, that it was set off. It wasn't just like, okay, like the Disneyland fireworks that go off every night. Um, again, those aren't automated either. But here's what happened. Um, Gunpowder, pitch, and sulfur were really easy to get a hold of in the 18th century. Py pyrotechnics were super popular. And uh, a lot of the folks involved in the situation came from military background, so they were intimately familiar with uh, these explosives. There was something called Bengal fire, which was uh, a type of chemical that has added to create a bright blue or red flame that's a lot like what we would see today in, term, in, in the form of a, like a flare, like a road flare, something you'd use on a ship. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So this is, uh, since we are a family show and sometimes played in classrooms, this is bad butt. That sounds more awkward than badass, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it does. We should just say badass. You're a bad boy, and I'm going <laughs> to spank your butt, your bottom. Yeah. So this is cool, right? This is, this is objectively crazy and the very definition of a public spectacle, you know? Franz was obsessed with this. He loved it, loved it, loved it. He passes away in 1820, and the eruptions stop because his sole legitimate son is like, why would you, why would you build this volcano, you weird, weird man? And most of his garden realm, as it was called, was preserved after his death, but the volcano fell into neglect over the course of the next century and a half. Luckily, the garden overall survived World War II with very minor damage. The worst damage it received, actually, and this is, this is just tragic, uh, German forces destroyed the interior of the synagogue during Kristallnacht in November of 1938. And the only reason the synagogue survives is because the director of the park at the time, a guy named Hans Halverden, kept the building from being destroyed completely. And they fired him. 
But in my opinion, Hans is a hero for that. So after World War II, it becomes part of East Germany. See, we brought it back around. Uh, this area is part of East Germany. The volcano is further neglected. And according to Heiko Pills, one of the uh, graduate assistants at the time at the Bradenburg Technical University, the very last eruptions of the fake volcano were just burning tires and it was overgrown with weeds and falling apart. And after part of it collapsed and killed someone in 1983, authorities in East Germany condemned it, which is a shame. Oh, man. And I maybe was being a little coy earlier, but maybe I wasn't when I said, gosh, sure would be cool if this is still around. Today, uh, enough of the kind of basis of this thing uh, are still around. The stone island of Vorlitz, uh, part of the garden realm of Vorlitz, and UNESCO World Heritage deemed it a historical site. Um, it's about an hour south of Berlin by car. But in the early 2000s, it was condemned and really, you know, was overgrown with weeds and something of a hazard to, to be around because the stones were in disrepair and could have collapsed. But a five-year restoration project fixed all this and, and deemed the volcano to be safe, but yet silent. Uh, it, it was not uh, restored to its full glory until 2004 when the World Heritage Sites Management looked to a gentleman by the name of Wolfgang Spira, who was an, uh, a uh, chemistry professor from the Brandenburg Technical University, um, and he he had a particular um, he had a particular penchant for historical pyrotechnics. Let's add that to the list of weird uh, specializations, right? Like underwater explosions, historical pyrotechnics, and he wanted to bring the volcano roaring back to life. Because uh, according to uh, Spira, a volcano that can't explode is a very sad volcano indeed. And he wanted to make it happy again, he says, which I love. Um, he wanted to help the volcano get its identity back. This guy is very high, uh, high concept thinker, it would appear. Um, so he spent a decade as the head of Berlin's criminology lab. Um, and he actually signs his emails, the eruptor. We need an explosion for that. Total. Uh, yeah. Could you say it again, though? The Eruptor. The Eruptor. Okay. Sorry, Casey. Thank you so much. <laughs> Look at, I'm looking at Casey wondering how far we can push the Salakus today. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car. I'd get that car, and I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know, I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonneville. Oh, 
right? It's, oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was, a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, <laughs> I said El Camino and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. It, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, Noel, have you ever wanted to wake up to something better? Oh, boy, have I ever been. <laughs> well, uh, this is where Avalon Waterways comes in. How does waking up to a medieval castle, an ancient cathedral, a rolling vineyard, or a charming cobblestone village sound to you? Well, here on Ridiculous History, that's right up our street, Ben, our charming cobblestone street. So I can say it sounds pretty good to me. You're absolutely right, Noel. Avalon Waterways has redefined cruising in so many different ways. They've got the uh, widest opening windows. They've got beds that face the passing scenery. So wherever you go, you have a front row seat to the views of the world. And not only do you wake up in the best staterooms in the entirety of the business, but you're waking up in a new port every day, right in the heart of these amazing historic cities. Ah, Ben, sign me up. Open your eyes to a better view and a different kind of cruising. One with smaller ships, bigger experiences, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. I love that quote where Wolfgang wants to help this volcano get its identity back. So he starts doing his detective work, which we mentioned earlier, and eventually he gets the volcano ready to rock and lava, rock and roll, rock and lava again. And he recreates the events. It's still incredible, even to people in the 21st century. Uh, if we can set the tone, people are gathering outside of the shores of this artificial lake. They're listening to these rumbles. Wine is flowing freely. Twilight is deepening into what some German poets call the blue hour. We, we call it kind of like it's just past golden hour for anybody familiar with filming. It's just a little bit deeper, right before the night sets on. I've never heard of the Blue Hour. Well, we're not German poets yet. So as this rumbling is building, as this susurrus reaches a crescendo, there is a rumble of drums and thunder. Red flames flicker at the top of the volcano, growing into a thick column of smoke, and red-tinged water starts to flow from the crater. 
churning into the lake below. There are these loud explosions sending sparks careening into the sky. And inside the peak of the volcano, there's an 86-square-foot oven packed with fresh pine needles. They roar into a smoky fire. They send the sparks higher and higher and higher. Bradenburg Technical University students are watching this. They're wearing gas masks. They run from fireplace to fireplace in the secret chamber below, and they're squirting lighter fluid all over these fires and tossing in this special powder to make the smoke have a bright color. And then they get to see, in a very real way, a, a snapshot of history from centuries before, which is beautiful. Incredible. Yeah, but they didn't solve it all, though. There was one graduate student, Jonas Lohman, who said, the original volcano still has its secrets, of course. I wonder how they did the noise. Nowadays, we have hi-fi speakers. But back then, no idea. Yeah, it's true. But they, it was really important to them to keep the experience authentic, right? Um, so Spira and, and Quilts, Oh, my goodness gracious. I love this one. Q-U-I-L-T-Z-S-C-H. I'm just going to say Quilch. Um, they didn't want to cheapen the experience by, like, overhyping the event. Um, so they don't want it to be, again, like the fireworks at Disneyland. They're every single night. And they're really cool when you're there visiting. It's magical. But I imagine if you live in Orlando, it just becomes, like, super humdrum. You know what I mean? Ha, maybe. Yeah, it's not Christmas if it's every day. Uh, so technically, folks, if you are in the area, you can visit this volcano. It's still in play since it rumbled back to life in 2005. And about once a year, they fire their pet Vesuvius up. But the funny thing is, you can't get advance notice of this, really. They won't tell you when the next eruption will be. One of them said, and I love this, these guys are great with the sound bites. One of one of the creators said, Would you ask a volcano when it's going to go off? <laughs> I added that laugh at the end. That's not not in the quote. Oh yeah, I was with it. I was with it. I think this is fascinating. I would love one of these uh, in my backyard. Uh, maybe it's like a, like a like a scaled down version. It reminds me of a miniature golf course, kind of like the kind of feature you might see in a mm -hmm. miniature golf course, where you hit the golf ball like into the hole in the side of the volcano, and then it shoots out the top or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, I, I could go for that. I've seen some real volcanoes before. I haven't been to the edge of one during an eruption, but uh, but yeah, this seems like at least the next best thing. So for everybody working on a science project now, we just wanted to give you a glimpse of how far you can go with a fake volcano. Thanks, as always, to our super producer, Casey Pegram. Thanks to our research associate, the one, the only, Gabe Luzier. Gabe, if you're listening, checkmate, my friend. We learned how to correctly pronounce your last name. Oh, we did. We have an inside scoop. And now nothing will ever be the same again. We, we can still, you know, go on pretending like we don't, trying different ways. But I think we were right from the start, weren't we, Ben? Isn't it Luzier? I, I, you know what? Now I'm mixed up again. Yep, same. same. <laughs> but you know what? Either way, uh, your, your subterfuge aside, Gabe, um, we, we really love you, and we're thankful for you on this, Aww. our episode, 
uh, just prior to Thanksgiving. I hope everyone out there is being safe. Um, I know there's a lot of weirdness with families right now, especially if you're on different sides of the political divide, perhaps, of whether or not, you know, it's okay to do Thanksgiving like normal. And um, I just hope everyone's having a good conversation about it and, 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 and thinking of others and maybe, you know, doing it on Zoom this year. And it, everything will be better again soon. But I think we just if we can push through, then maybe we'll all be better for it. And uh, I would like to point out for those of us who historically try to do a little bit of volunteering uh, and so on during this time of year, I want to point out that uh, volunteering doesn't have to be a seasonal thing. If you feel moved to help people, there are always people out there who could use a helping hand. So think of those folks not just on Thanksgiving, but think of them, you know, in in the lull of the holiday calendar because they're still there. And we'll follow up with an even punchier Thanksgiving episode later this, later this uh, later this week. Uh, so stay tuned. Uh, also, as always. Thanks to our number one turkey, Jonathan Strickland, a.k.a. the Quister. Is that too mean? Not at all. No, he's a, he's more of a turducken kind of figure. Uh, he contains multitudes. He's like one of those Cthulhu turduckens with the squid that you've seen it. on the internet, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you know, we'll have him back very soon. Very excited. Uh, for, I think he, well, he, he, he got us this last time, but now we have the opportunity to, 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 to get him back. Uh, that probably won't be until after the holidays. So um, yeah, check out our Facebook group, Ridiculous Historians, where you can join in the conversation around new episodes and post your memes and selfies whatever you want it's, it's all it's all for you um, and you can also find us on social media as individual human people I am at how now Noel Brown on Instagram you can find me on Twitter I am at Ben Bolin HSW the old school audience folks know what that stands for and I am on Instagram as at Ben Bolin so uh, come for the weird shots of me assembling a studio and stay for the uh, incredibly obscure memes We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Avalon Waterways. Ben, are you in major need of a vacation right now? Noel, you're a mind reader. I am, and uh, aren't we all? We are. While cruising remains popular, there's something big happening in the industry, and that is, my friend, smaller ships. True story. The intimate ships of Avalon Waterways can go where the big ships can only dream, through winding passageways of rolling vineyards and castled hills into the heart of timeless cities and storybook villages. That sounds like a delight. See how Avalon's smaller ships promise greater discoveries, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time. Special offers await at AvalonWaterways.com. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com. 
Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. 